Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1049.DE1811, certificate number 37239, the reindeer wizards. This tent, called a kata, belongs to the Logia family, which I've been invited to join for the strenuous drive of the reindeer. They're a handsome people, and what appears to be special finery they're all wearing is simply everyday clothing. The head of this clan is Johann Logia. While he and I talk, his sister opens the family's pack box to give me some dried reindeer meat. As guest, I am served first and expected to eat first. Do you remember, and this is going back a ways, do you remember when uh, reindeer wizards opened for cocaine hippos? Uh, well, you know, my sister used to play on the reindeer wizards, uh, it was her junior high basketball team, but, (laughs) but I think the band came first, actually. That would be funny if every Alaska high school called its team, the reindeer wizards. Just put a, an, an ungulate in front of whatever a normal basketball team would be, right? Reindeer wizard could be so many things, but, um, let me just read to you in its entirety a newspaper article. Are you all right with this? Sure. This is going to be an easy show for me. (laughs) You just go ahead and read the newspaper. You pretend to sit there. You go get some ice cream out of the freezer. (laughs) Yeah, the this Times capsule is now a book on tape, Mm -hmm. basically. Okay, I'm reading to you from, this is off the wire, off of uh, United Press uh, International. I think then still United Press uh, from April 6th, I want to say, 1952. Hmm. The headline, Britons raise funds to save dying mystic tribe of Laps. Britons. Britons and Laps with two Ps. So here's what The Wire has to say about this odd story. London. Dateline London. (laughs) That's perfect. The Lapland wizards are dying out and Britons are being asked to send reindeer to help save this mystic tribe. Wait a minute. There are reindeer in Britain? I'm going to read this in its entirety. Okay, sorry. And you're going to have a chance. (laughs) Okay. All right, go ahead. I feel like a therapist. After Ken speaks, John, you're going to have a chance. (laughs) But, but, but. (laughs) The natives have been credited with the ability to... The natives. (laughs) I like how you made it two words. I'm sorry. With this new paradigm. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's going to get better. Okay. The natives have been credited with the ability to communicate with each other by mental telepathy. There are only 80 families of Skolt Laps left in the world as the result of the ravages of two wars on their original homeland around Petsamo in Finland. 
Since the end of World War II, the 350 remaining tribesmen have resettled in the far north of Finland, hundreds of miles beyond the Arctic Circle. Travelers have reported that despite the sympathetic efforts of the Finnish government to provide them with a suitable village, the tribe is doomed unless it receives the 1,000-strong reindeer herd. A thousand hyphen strong, if that helps. They're not strong reindeer. <laughs> the 1,000-strong reindeer herd it needs to feed and clothe itself. Okay, the next section is called Want Isolation. A small, dark, alert people. <laughs> well, the Skolt Laps have a mania for isolation. They refuse to have their houses less than two miles apart. That, according to Tom Hopkinson, an editor who visited them recently, apparently has heightened the psychic ability supposedly latent in all humans. Hopkinson said he could not otherwise explain how a Skolt Lap hunter suddenly would start off to meet a friend at a rendezvous 50 miles away and meet him there, although no apparent message had ever been sent, except, perhaps, mentally. Hopkinson also could not explain how a Lap housewife, whose husband had been away for days on a hunting trip, this is like, this is like Finland penthouse forum again, would begin preparing dinner abruptly. Oh, this turned out to be wholesome. Wow. And have it ready just as her spouse made his unannounced appearance. It's a very weirdly wholesome penthouse forum. <laughs> Final section, prominent patrons. It must be due to living alone as they do, said Hopkinson, one of the sponsors of the Skolt Lap Relief Fund, which the British have licensed as a war charity. Other patrons include Jan Sibelius, composer, and Augustus John, British painter. The fund seeks 7,000 pounds, 19,652 US dollars, at £7, $19.60 per reindeer. Meat-hungry Britons are dutifully chipping in even though they themselves, the, the weirdness doesn't stop, even though they themselves have acquired a taste for reindeer steak during the long beef shortage. Ooh. There are, that could be an omnibus right there. <laughs> the long beef shortage. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> decade when apparently the British got really into reindeer steak. There are two other strange reasons why the Skoltlaps are having trouble eking a living from the far north. One is a giant wolf. What? Which raids reindeer herds, then races back to the safety of his lair beyond the nearby Russian border. <gasps> the Skoltlaps hunter, it's like a uh, dodgeball, right. Right, capture the flag. The Skoltlaps hunters are not permitted beyond the Iron Curtain, and the wolves apparently have learned they can plague the Western world from there with impunity. Rawr. The other, and there are many, I assume that men, uh, modifies menace, hmm. uh, is described by Hopkinson as a degenerate mammal which grows to a powerful three feet tall with mighty claws and the odor ejection apparatus of a skunk. Yuck. He kills everything in sight, said Hopkinson, gorges himself until his skin almost bursts, regurgitates, and starts eating all over again. Hmm. Okay, there, having covered quite a bit of ground, mm -hmm. the UPI dispatch ends. <laughs> oh, that's it. Th that's the story. So, a few things are going on here. One, we just are to take it as given that there's a tribe of Laplanders yes. with mental telepathy. Yes. Number two, that the, thanks to the Nazis and the Cold War, they are now down 7,000 reindeer. Right. And all patriotic Britons must subscribe to this cause. And third, you know, in addition to some examples of their amazing mental powers, third, that they are being menaced by canny border-clinging wolves and a mysterious animal that our, our reporter cannot even name. A chupacabra. Uh, I believe it's a wolverine. Oh. <clears throat> Wolver right. Wolverines apparently are rare but present yes. in... Finnmark in, in the northern parts of Scandinavia and the Nordic countries. They're famous for running uh, Russian invaders out of their uh, Montana hometowns. Wait, is that true? Oh, right. 
Those Wolverines never actually made it to the Russian border, I think. No, 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 no. They, they stopped at the Montana border. <laughs> but the thing about how it, um, it's reputed to smell bad and then eat, barf, and keep eating. Yeah, that does seem like a Wolverine. The Wolverine is also anciently known as the glutton, or, you know, medievally known as the glutton, and I think because of its reputation, at least, for that kind of Well, yeah, and it eats shameful a carrion, right? It's a, it's yeah, a gross it, it'll eat what It's an omnivore. It'll eat whatever. So this is a, ever since I first saw this news story by chance in a, a, a book by Alan Fletcher. Let's get back to that in a minute. <laughs> How did you happen? To, uh, oh, this was, this was excerpted in a book about uh, cryptozoology yeah, or The something? first paragraph of it was excerpted in a, a commonplace book, like a collection of favorite quotes and thoughts and designs and stuff by a British artist. And I happened to see it and I thought, what is this? And I, you know, recently tracked down the whole article, which just, as you saw, gets weirder. Yes. It's by a reporter, not a flaky guy. It's by a guy named Robert Musel, M-U-S-E-L. I think it's Musel, who had one of the great journalistic careers and was probably the last of these typewriter clacking, mm -hmm. you know, shoe leather wearing kind of journalists. When he had his... When he had his incapacitating stroke oh, in yes. the... Uh, As they all end up doing. I almost said decapitating stroke, and they do not all do that. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a stroke. Uh, in the early 90s, I think he was 89, and he had seen it all. He covered the Lindbergh kidnapping, and then in 43, he got sent to London by United Press mm -hmm. and covered the war. Apparently was cited for bravery by General Patton at the Battle of the Bulge. I guess you could cite journalists for bravery. Here, here. Good. So I mentioned him in dispatches. He was an embed, I mm -hmm. guess. He mm -hmm. was one of the first embeds. He was the, apparently, uh, I mean, these stories may have gotten better in time, but he was the London bureau chief for UPI for 50 years. Can you imagine? What, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. And that, wasn't that- What a, a life. Wasn't that a romantic life for you at a, at a time? Didn't you imagine yourself like, London bureau chief, you know, wouldn't that be- I feel like my idea of a European reporter was Tintin. Yeah. Who went around finding sunken treasures and solving mysteries. And that really did seem like the life because he never filed a thing. You're Tintin. amazingly Tintin-like now that I, now that you mentioned it, like your hair is, you have Tintin yeah, hair. People don't know that I, I always put the little quiff up in the front like Tintin when we record. Wait a minute. Does that make me Captain Haddock? <laughs> yeah, wait, <laughs> you are exactly Captain Haddock. Oh no. Billions of blistering <laughs> blue particles. You're, uh, all, you're always drunk and disorderly. All we need is a professor uh, calculus to join our show. And we, we need John Hodgman to come on and be professor calculus <laughs> on the show. I have a little yappy dog that I could bring. You do. It's, it's perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, he was a Tintin-like figure in that he knew everybody. He had a weird thing where he would go to George Bernard Shaw's house every weekend, but Shaw would pretend not to know him and say, ah, you're the young man who visits the maid. And then, you know, he would just hang out with Shaw all weekend, but they, for some reason they had this weird pretense har, har, har. that he was there to, <laughs> that he was there to stuff the maid. Uh, he was the man who told Churchill that FDR, he phoned Churchill to say that FDR had died. Uh, he covered every royal wedding from Queen Elizabeth to Princess Grace and, and thereafter, uh, famously Prince Philip winked at him while walking down the aisle with Queen Elizabeth. He was a friend of the royals. Hmm. And possibly more than a friend. I don't want to speculate, <laughs> but that sounds that sounds very erotic. He, uh, this is amazing. He claimed to have coined the nickname Derbingle for Bing Crosby. Sure, Derbingle. Do you use that a lot still when you think about Bing Crosby? I mean, I have a poster of him over my bed that says Derbingle. Every, is that true? No. Oh, okay. I don't have any posters of anybody. But if you did, it could be Bing Crosby, right? I live in a room with no 
uh, with no adornment. You live in a seven-sided lighthouse made of Bing Crosby posters. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also, if you don't say Dermingle anymore, he claimed to have coined Elvis the pelvis for Elvis Presley. Hmm. That's now, now that you think about it, not that great a coin. That's there waiting to be discovered. There's only one word that rhymes with Elvis and it's the part of the body he shakes. <laughs> hey, hey, Elvis the pelvis. Elvis has a pelvis. He Wait was, a minute. He was also a songwriter in addition to his side career. He was a lyricist who wrote two of the biggest hits of the fifties. Although I don't know if you're going to remember either Papa Pippolino, sure. a, a fun little fable about an Italian donkey. Sure, I hear it every time I go to, to Vince's up here. <laughs> yeah. I'll have, uh, I'll have hey. one uh, spicy margarita pizza <laughs> and put on the Papa Pippolino. And also a, a kind of a schmaltzy romance thing called Band of Gold, which I listened to. And- oh, Band of Gold is a great tune. I've never wanted wealth and toe. Don Cherry, number two uh, in the U.S., covered as recently as last, uh, a couple of years ago by Loretta Lynn. Yeah, it's a real tearjerker, and uh, and there's a lot of suspicion about Band of Gold that it actually is about a man who married a woman, but he is in fact gay and can't consummate their relationship. Well, this would definitely tie in with winking at Prince Philip at his <laughs> own wedding. <laughs> he wrote Band of Gold. He wrote Band of Gold. Wow. And uh, so I guess all this is just in service of saying this guy— is not a credulous reporter. This guy's one of the most prestigious reporters of his era. He's fascinating. Why is he writing this thing about telepathic, telepathic laps? Uh, do you believe, what, what jumps out at you in that article? What would you like to discuss here, John, given your new knowledge of reindeer wizards? Well, I love spooky action at a distance. Which you define as? Let's say I orient my, uh, my quad Americano here like so on my desk and unbeknownst to me, all the way across this great land, uh, a paramour of mine, a lover. An old flame. An old flame. An old fling. An uh, old derbingle. Is at this very moment reorienting her coffee cup to orient with mine, but neither of us know it or uh, mean it, but it's that we are connected by a, a tendril, a thread of. Some kind of quantum connection. Quantum connection. That's right. Um, I know that that's not what it, what spooky action at a distance really is, but that's how I have. I think that's not unrelated to how you know I've, would use it. I've like um, this example seems a little hard to validate, though. Like, right, but like, what are you going to do? Call up everyone you know every time you move a coffee cup to see if they just did it too? Well, no, you can't validate it, but the, but there are enough times where things like this are revealed in the form of picking up the, like we, like used to happen. You'd sure. pick up the phone and the person you were going to call was already there. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I don't know. There are so many instances where these type of things are verifiable that it suggests that there is an exponential number of them that are happening without us being able to verify. There must be more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Yeah. I mean, how many times it's, uh, if we don't believe in coincidence, which of, which surely you and I do not. We do not believe in coincidence? Not at all. No, no, no. We are 100%. We believe in a mechanistic universe. Uh, uh, there's a clockmaker. There's a deist meaning behind everything that happens. You and I both believe in the in predestination. So, I, for, I forgot two cans of soda on the way to my car today. I managed to leave. <laughs> I managed to break one in the garage and leave one sitting on the stairs. So you had to stop and get that third can of soda on your way here? Yeah, so that must mean something. Yeah. The universe did not want me to have a Diet Dr. Pepper. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. What was the most recent of these for me? I mean, I guess the best example is the sort of like, oh, I was just thinking of somebody that I haven't talked to in nine years. And then you get a message from them that day, not even the next day. And so there's some kind of telepathic I just had I just or, had one of these as well. What was your most recent one? I was speculating with a high school friend about which of our high school teachers were probably closeted gay men. Uh-huh. And our lists were pretty much the same. We went to a Small school. Evangelical high school in which that would not have been uncommon Mm -hmm. in the 1980s for a Mm -hmm. deeply religious gay man to try to make a go of it. Right. With a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, and our lists were mostly the same. And uh, immediately thereafter, like within a week, I got an email from a, I'm not going to speculate, but a candidate on this list Mm -hmm. who I had not heard from in... You know, not since I graduated high school, over 30 years. Right. With, with, on a bit of alumni business. And that was crazy to me. Uh, he didn't wink at me Prince Philip style or anything, but this is a guy I had really not thought of in 30 years and then twice in one week. There he is, spooky action at a distance. It happens all the time. And <clears throat> I know that uh, futurelings have come to expect us to be scientifically rigorous, motivated to include only the facts. They may not believe in telepathy. They may think this is just us waving our maraca shakers at the gods. But I suspect that, in fact, futurelings are much more acquainted with what might be behind telepathy, right? What what actually is happening that might account for telepathic instances or situations where there's this kind of social spooky action at a distance or um, what would you call it? Like a, uh, it's like social Darwinism is a misreading of Darwinism. Um, social spooky action at a distance is a kind of, it's a metaphor. We should certainly put at some point the hundredth monkey effect mm-hmm. in the uh, in the omnibus, which is kind of a hypothetical phenomenon of this kind of example as seen in nature. I you know, lo- the, the, the sentient aspens who are enjoying our program are going to be laughing rueful aspen uh, leaf laughs. They're already uh, a hive mind. They, right. they are 100% telepathy 100% of the time. They probably can't imagine how lonely we feel without that. I'm, and, a, I'm a telepathy skeptic, by the way. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an ESP skeptic. Yeah, me too. You think there'd be better data. Yeah, me too. But there is, I think, better than... We, we, we think of telepathy as like, what am I thinking, Ken? What am I thinking? Which I don't think exists. I don't think you can read my mind. But I do believe there's some strange connection between me and the people and people's 3,000 miles away that choose to email me the same day that I think of them. And what is it? 
What is that? What's going on, Ken? What's, what are the facts? Well, certainly, the earth is flat. Certainly many ancient and primitive cultures shared your belief that, like, there was, yeah. that there was some other world that could be tapped into. You mean 90s indie rock? <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. An ancient primitive culture? <laughs> <laughs> if, let's go even further back, if you will, mm. to the Sami people of, of Lapland, of, of northern Scandinavia, because they're who is being referred to in this article. It appears, after doing a little research, it appears that um, Robert Musil is, is drawing most of this article from a December 27th, 1951 BBC broadcast titled Reindeer Wizards. Perfect. Where Tom Hopkinson, the guy he cites in the article, discusses this ongoing humanitarian crisis and the strange and wondrous abilities of the Skolt people. And Hopkinson, again, not a scientist. I could not find any actual research on the telepathic abilities of these people contemporary to this period. But Hopkinson was the editor of Picture Post magazine, which was the British equivalent of, of life or look. It was, sure. their, it was their big glossy photo magazine. And he continued in that position until the Korean War when he wanted to publish something about UN war crimes committed in Pusan. And the editor said that would not be good for the war effort. He was ousted. And he was ousted for wanting, you know, for his journalistic integrity. Although I believe he was something of a mystic. Later in life, he became a disciple of uh, uh, Meher Baba, are, yes. you, are you familiar with the Avatar Meher Baba? Like, mm-hmm. many, like many, many people of that generation, he was very impressed by this Indian guru and spiritual leader. So we know he was of a mystic frame of mind and may have been a little credulous. But the fact is that the cultural roots in the West of being fascinated by the wizards of Lapland actually goes back centuries. Um, so we should say that the, the Sami are what we refer to as, what were referred to as the Laplanders. Right, what commonly would have been the Laplanders. Today, Sami is the preferred term for this indigenous population. But it's a group of people that live all across the north of Scandinavia. There are Sami in Sweden and Norway and Finland, and they, they were not reduced to a population of 80 families. Uh, the Skolt, however, the specific, you know, there's many, because they stretch over such a wide area from Norway well into Russia, um, the Sami do come in many flavors and, and mini tribes. And in fact, uh, there is no pan-Sami organization or council. There's, there's a parliament in each of these countries. There's a Norwegian Sami parliament and a, right. and a Swedish and a Finnish, which is you know probably what's led to a lot of their oppression over the years is a, a succession of different governments dividing their, their classic nomadic and herding territories. They're the Kurds of Scandinavia. Yeah, and the, and the comparison to the American Indians are, are pretty clear as we'll probably see later. But these were a, a people with deep shamanistic beliefs before Christianity reached Northern Europe and well after in some circles. Uh, they were animists. Their holy man was a shaman called uh, in, it sounds different in different flavors of the Sami language, but the Skolts will have, would have called him the Noid. The Noid. So they did not no. avoid the Noid. <clears throat> no. Uh, their pizza was always cold. They were, well, yeah, if you live in <laughs> If you live above the Arctic Circle, that pizza is not going to be hot. But uh, so in Western Europe, this was kind of their first, they thought about wizards and sorcery. Uh, they were not familiar yet with the uh, animistic religions of West Africa or the spiritual beliefs of Native Americans. Like their idea of one of these nature-worshipping bearded mystics was a Sami guy. Well, you know, I, I have always contended, having traveled quite a bit in that area, that Christianity is only the thinnest veneer on all of Northern Europe's deep 
animistic pagan roots that they've never they've never truly surrendered, right? And and uh, wizards play wizards and elves and dwarves and magic. Uh, that stuff plays an outsized role in Danish culture, certainly Icelandic culture. I mean, there are little there. There's a lot of magic to this, in Scandinavia. To this day, I think people com- commonly believe in trolls as kind of a fun. Well, who knows? The same way you and I are bantering about telepathy in Iceland right now. People are sitting around talking about uh, whether they're going to see a troll today. Sure, trolls come and make their toilet seat cold and then run out into the into the, to the backyard. It's, it's like the Noid, but yeah. instead of cold pizza, they just these they love cold toilet seats. So, and I wonder what that. I wonder why there are some places where that kind of uh, connection to a, a world of magic, a universe mm-hmm. of magic, survived in in the culture, even alongside Christianity or alongside science and other places, it seems to have been more completely eradicated. Well, Musil speculates that it's about the isolation. You know, these are people who live two miles apart from each other. Right. It's it's very hard for a a religious wave to sweep when the data points are two miles apart. I guess in Iceland and Denmark, there's that emotional isolation where they live (laughs) two two emotional miles apart. I I will nod to the Lutheran (laughs) missionaries, but in my heart... I'm still beating my shaman drums. There's also something about the landscape up there, for example. I mean, you definitely feel a deep connection to the land that the biblical stories that the Lutherans are telling you may not address in your heart. There have been two waves of Christianization in that part of the world. Uh, The Eastern Orthodox Church, as early as the 16th century, I want to say, converted a lot of the Sami. But as you say, it was a very thin veneer. And in the 19th century, when Lutheranism became, you know, started to spread through upwards into Scandinavia and formerly Eastern Orthodox parts of, of Finland and Russia, um, they, they tried many of these shamans for sorcery because they were shocked to discover that this nominally Christian population still had the Noid out there uh, reading palms and traveling to Yabme Aimo, the land of shadows, on, on a mystical journey, many of which were facilitated by Seven-spotted Amanita mushrooms. That's insane. They need to replace that with Sinterklaas, who flies through the air in a sleigh uh, drawn by by flying reindeer. I prefer my bearded Nordic <laughs> magic figures to be jolly, not slightly creepy. Um, so if you read a lot of like 19th century poetry, you'll see British writers, you know, kind of waxing romantic. The romantics loved the idea of these Lapland wizards. Well, sure, Tolkien, right? I mean, this is... You can draw the line straight through to Tolkien and D&D and Led Zeppelin and you know many genres of prog and metal, I think. Let me draw that line. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny, and I had never considered how much of this would come through Lapland, that that would be your default idea of a wizard right. if you were a 19th century romantic. In one of Byron's poems, he compares uh, uh, something to the powers of Lapland, which is to ensure a wind. The, the weather-controlling abilities of these Lapland wizards mm. was, was very widely famed, apparently. In Britain at the time, I read another poem that compared the Welsh landscape to the fabled horrors by demoniac forces of Lapland wizards wrought, who, born upon the whirlwind's wing, what time the vexed sea dashed against Norwegia's cliffs to solid mass, turned the swollen billows, and the o'erhanging waves fixed ere they fell. So they could actually freeze the waves in yes. midair as if they were crags of stone. This is some Marvel Universe stuff. You could totally turn that into a Thor movie or a, an Iron Maiden lyric. Can I use the word Norwegia? I love how they just think they can call it Norwegia to make it scan. Like, Norwegia. I need another syllable <laughs> for this to be iambic. Norwegia. <laughs> 
So this is kind of the background of this 1950s news article that it was kind of just widely believed that there were these magical, telepathic, weather-controlling, nature-controlling wizards dotting the Arctic Circle. So now how, <clears throat> in your own experience, because we see this a lot where we believe that there is a, a there's a science world, the a world that we all inhabit, but we are we are willing to ascribe certain magical abilities to certain localized communities, small situations. Like you could say, oh, there are wizards in Lapland because they can't really affect us. Right. It's a localized, small place of magic. Like this guy is not going to write an article about the wizards of, of Devonshire. Right, or the, yeah, right, the wizards of, of uh, Queens. But we would love to believe that even though our 1952 world or our 2019 world is ruled by science and order, that somewhere there must still be magic. There's still magic. A little pocket of it. In reading up about a lot of 19th century anthropology to see what would have been informing Musil and Hopkinson's belief about the Skult shamans, I found that in addition to the mushrooms that sent them on their magic voyages, mm. this, this is how a, often a, a, a new a noid would be chosen. It would be... Oh, they were taking psychedelic mushrooms. Right. There, ah, there, there were um, uh, fly agaric mushrooms, amanita mushrooms growing there. Um, so some combination of that or whatever weird lichen alcohol or grain alcohol they drank and or just the isolation. They, they talk about how the shaman would often go on long walks by himself with or without the aid of the mushrooms or the alcohol and just sensory deprivation in that kind of whiteout environment. You're describing my teens and 20s now. <laughs> right. I was wondering if this would speak to you <laughs> as a bearded mystic from Alaska, which is kind of our, it's kind of our Lapland. On a long, lonely walk in a whiteout condition, somewhat high on mushrooms possibly, and homemade Possibly alcohol. some mushrooms involved. <laughs> um, their other accessories would include a tambourine. Uh-huh. Uh, it turns out, I was disappointed to find out this is not kind of the jingle jangle Romani tambourine. Uh, in the 19th century, a tambourine was just a small drum head. Sure. So a small drum would be boom, very important boom, boom, to these boom, shamans. Once boom, they had been chosen by their boom, tonto, their spirit animal, uh, the, the drum would kind of be the driver of a lot of their belief. They would beat the drum to do about anything, to predict success on a hunt or uh, the outcome of an illness. You could use the drum to heal someone. You could use the drum to direct sacrifice. Or, and here's the one that's the most relevant to Mr. Musil's wire dispatch, tidings from far away. Well, that's the thing, right? It, it, and this is true in Africa too and true of the native Alaskans. Like if you're in a treeless savanna environment, the sound of a drum really communicates like over great distances. And so you could just sit and boom, 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 and be heard at a surprising distance. I was at a museum exhibit in London a couple of years ago about how even today – cell phones are kind of a tough sell for some of these villages that are still relying on drum beats and rhythms for inter-village communication. And they actually have to market cell phones as kind of, this is your new... It's a new drum. It's your new drum <laughs> <laughs> from Samsung. Lame. Lame. <laughs> uh, well, you, you feel no, that's... It wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be Samsung, though. No. Uh, what, what weird kind of off-brand Russian... Uh, no, no. It's, I mean, the largest cell phone company in the universe is from Finland. Oh, you're right. I, well, I was talking about the I was talking about the African. This, this is in oh, the, I see. the exhibit I saw was about African uh, villages that are still using drums to communicate. So yeah, there's a literal sense in which the drums could communicate with your faraway neighbors, but the drum also produced kind of uh, 
you know, it could summon assistance from the nature spirits, or it could also give you like an out-of-body experience. They believed that you had a free soul and a body soul, and that somebody with the assistance of the drum and or, you know, the mushrooms or whatever it takes, uh, they could send their free soul into the land of shadows to communicate with the gods and the spirits. That all is so much better than cell phones. <laughs> Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So the drum is sacred. Uh, you beat it with a reindeer horn. There's uh, how the divination works kind of in a Ouija board fashion. The drum has sacred symbols painted on it of animals and astronomical objects. And you pointed out the veneer of Christianization. Often the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost would be right there next to the caribou spirit and the wolf spirit and the, the moon goddess. Um, they would all be together and you would place a ring on the drum and as you beat the drum with your reindeer horn, it would be a Ouija board. The, the ring would jiggle around and whether it landed on the moon goddess or Jesus or, right. or whatever it is. It's, Chupacabra. It's every kind of airbrushed van together. It's not just Jesus, but also wolves and wizards and everything all in one. And, you know, so it was this elaborate paint made out of alder bark. Uh, women couldn't touch the drum. It had to be wrapped in fur at all times. Uh, although in some tribes, women could be shaman. I, I understand. Uh, shaw women, I guess. Shaw, shaw women. Shaw people. Shaw women. Am I saying shaman right? Do you like shaman? No, it's shaman, <clears throat> right? Uh, the only time I say shaman is when I'm quoting Rayman Zarek, who famously said of Jim Morrison that he dared to dance the shaman's dance. I think we talked about this in our first entry. I think <laughs> that Rayman Zarek quote is in the first omnibus. Uh, yeah, it's it really resonates with me. I would say shaman otherwise, but if but okay, I just looked it up. This is funny. Merriam-Webster prefers shaman, allows shaman, and then also, and this is just crazy. Shaman. Shaman. Shaman? <clears throat> That's what Michael Jackson keeps saying. <laughs> it definitely sounds like... Shaman. It sounds like a 90s girl group, right? Like... <laughs> a <laughs> Korean pop group. I was going to say like En Vogue was never the same after Shaman, Shaman left. Shaman. Or after somebody left to form Shaman yeah. or something like that. Jody Watley was briefly in a, in a trio called Shaman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Shaman, the Shaman also had a magic mace that he could use to touch a man or a beast. Are there any verified instances of a shaman (laughs) (laughs) demonstrating his or her powers uh, to a skeptic? The accounts are often missionaries or anthropologists who are not prone to believe the shamans. Right, but also really unreliable narrators, both. Yeah, so the missionaries often interpret this as it's the influence of the devil. Like like when when these guys do their walk and find their spirit animal that, you know, a missionary will record. And that's when the devils first appeared to him and told him to build his drum 
course. And, uh, and, and it's a very scary thing. Like they will talk about it, but I don't know if this counts as a verified thing. This, they, this guy can stop a vessel in its course, change the aspect of the sky. They uh-huh. have essentially Thor-like superpowers. They're confirming, but it's all, but it's all the devil's power. Yes. And they're, they're very afraid of this. I think anthropologists would be a little more reluctant to say they saw anything of the kind. Right. Um, and I wish there'd been, I wish there was more firsthand reports of exactly what this, you know, this religion worked out for them for hundreds of years. Well, when we take Omnibus on the road, I think maybe rather than do the typical thing of just doing shows in Chicago, New York, and Austin, we should only do live Omnibus shows in places like Tongor and... Trump, Tromso, Fle- Finland? Fle- Trump, Tromso, Flebus, Norway? Yeah, and... Like fl- Florm-Gad. I thought you were going to say we should put a ring on a drum, and by beating the drum, we should see where the ring tells us, where the spirits just, tell us just go and we want to go. Go to Chicago and beat the drum? I tried to find some follow-up to see if uh, I could find out if this charity, sponsored by Augustus John and Sibelius and some of the biggest names of the day, was successful in getting the Skolt, their 7,000 reindeer. reindeer they needed to survive. It's possible that campaigned work, but the 20th century was not kind to the Skolt or any of the other Sami people. Oh, dear. The thing in the story about the Iron Curtain appearing really did, that is true. You know, it, suddenly there was a, the world's, one of the world's most armed military borders cutting off, their, cutting their territory in half of these nomadic people. Well, and they, they experienced the same thing that, that Native Americans did in the sense that they were prohibited to use their language or learn in their language. Particularly in the in Norway in the early 20th century. Um, you know, they would make sure that Sami languages were not taught in schools, that to buy property or to register for any other kind of government service, you needed to have a Norwegian name and speak the Norwegian language and fill out the forms in Norwegian. Norwegianization. Norwegianization. Um, or Norwegia. Norwegianization. <laughs> and as a result, many left Norwegia. There was an exodus of at least 30,000... Sami, a diaspora to North America. Oh. So to this day, the parts exactly where you'd expect them to land, Minnesota, Montana, Saskatchewan, Alaska, Yukon. Vilcoman. Uh, are, yeah. I'm glad they, uh, I'm glad they found a haven on these shores. We uh, have reindeer in Alaska. That's right. They, uh, they should feel right at home. I guess here we call them caribou, right? Oh, well. It's the same species. North, what, what is called a reindeer in Europe is a North American caribou, I believe. Yeah. We have, we keep, <clears throat> we keep the little ones. We, Call the little ones aside and call them reindeer. Is that true? Because they look more Christmassy? Yeah. Oh, I see. So if it's cute, is there a poem to help me remember this? Uh, if it's cute. If the reindeer uh, is cute, it's a reindeer it's to It's a boot. mute. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a, a, a person or a family who has a house right on the park strip in downtown Anchorage that some point many, many years ago decided that their, their little quirk was going to be that they kept a reindeer in a cage caged yard, a front yard, basically. Like, like in December or year round? Year round. Oh. This reindeer lives in this person's yard and the reindeer, and it's, you know, as you walk, it's sort of in the, in the center of town. So tourists walking by, this reindeer ends up on, while you're in Anchorage, go see Bucky the reindeer or whatever. And you walk over and it's just like a little house. And in the front yard, there's a fence. And then there's a reindeer, a, an animal that's meant to roam over, you know, hundreds of miles and this reindeer just sits there. And I think every time one of them dies, they just get another one. I was about to say there've probably been like 70 buckies. Yeah. So, so the reindeer just sits there and you go and you, you, you look at it and it looks at you 
But yeah, if you're looking for a reindeer experience. There's a nursery in Seattle that has reindeer every winter and, yeah. a, and formerly a camel whose connection to Christmas is a little Well, no, shaky. no, no. That's the three, the three wise men. men, I assume. I actually went and played a ukulele for that reindeer and camel like one they, Christmas. Like they requested it? They were like, we'll do this this year, but John Roderick has I, to come play us carols. I sat in a little, I sat in a little sleigh and played some Christmas songs on a ukulele. I believe it is, it is viewable online. I like that you have your Captain Haddock side and your Santa side. <laughs> the, uh, the reindeer and the, the camel were nonplussed. Nonplussed in the sense of uh, surprised or unmo- unmoved? It did not rouse them I see. from their torpor. Nonplussed is one of these words that's come to mean its own opposite. Yeah, the camel was never happy there, and I think it no longer is available for possibly right. sketchy reasons. Hopefully it's out roaming the Cascade Mountains now free, the only camel in, in Western Washington. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in addition to the, the cultural pressures on them, the, what was really rough on the Sami was Chernobyl, weirdly. Oh, of course. That's where the big cloud went. Everything drifted north. And I guess a lot of the lichens and mosses up there are really prone to, you know, just holding on to heavy metals or radioactivity or whatever. And so it poisoned a lot of the land for their grazing and, you know, it made the berries and meats on which they sustained their lives inedible. So uh, it's, and it's, it's very parallel to the Native American situation where um, most of them now live in cities. 90% of the Sami are, are urbanized, little connection with their culture. Apologies from all the governments involved, of course. Of course, and, they're and, all very sorry that they Norwegianized them. Yeah, like now that we, now that we got the land and everything that we wanted, we really do feel awful about it. So they put all the street signs in Sami and <laughs> if you get above a certain latitude, <laughs> I guess. And there are still, you know, ten percent of them are still reindeer herders living right. up there. Um, tw- uh, One thousand two hundred fifty of the Skolt left. Really, a very small population. How many of them are wizard? <laughs> And that concludes The Reindeer Wizards, entry 1049.DE1811, certificate number 37239 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that you are a wizard. If they're a wizard, they know what you're about to say next. Hmm. You don't even have to give them the email address. Email us at our address, which you know through your wizardry <laughs> powers. You beat, when you beat on the drum, the ring spelled out the omnibus project at gmail.com. <laughs> in the unlikely event that you still live in shrouded in darkness as we do, not understanding spooky action at a distance, or even being able to articulate exactly what it is, we are sure in the future that you will have uncovered more of this mystery Surely you understand all the secrets of synchronicity, unless the Sami were the only ones who could have taught it, and they were the first to right. go thanks to global warming. Unfortunately, they, all their lichen was poisoned and their language was taken. It, synchronicity. It's true that they've had a couple of rough summers because of wildfires and unseasonably dry, hot weather, and uh, it's going to be rough on the reindeer. I hear reindeer in Svalbard are eating seaweed. You need to go play the ukulele to those well, sad, sad reindeer. The problem is the, the bears are, the polar bears are also trying to eat that same seaweed, we're going to have a seaweed deficit. We're going to lose all our wizards. All the sushi bars worldwide <laughs> are going to be full of polar bears, urbanized reindeer and polar bears and wolverines wearing <laughs> salaryman jackets. 
I don't want to live in a world where magic isn't possible, at the very least. But I also don't want to live in a world ruled by magic, governed by magic. You want to have both. You want to have it all. You want to have your reasonable enlightenment life. That's right. With all the benefits of science and technology. But you also want someone out in the forest whirling a magic mace. Yes. And chanting. The problem is if, if I am to believe in a multiverse, if I am to believe in quantum math. The Spider-Verse? The Spider-Verse also. If I'm to believe in the Spider-Verse. Into the Reindeer-Verse. Then I want, I want it still to be possible that when I pick up the phone to call my ex-girlfriend and she's on the line calling me, that that is because our hearts are connected and that I should have always been with her. It's true that being in love is really what leads to a lot of this magical thinking. Yeah. Any kind of difficult situation, death of a loved one, uh, romance gone wrong, that's when you're like, there's something more than all this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, how many stories do you hear about like, oh, they came to visit me in a dream and then the next day I found out they were dead? That happens a lot. Not to me. How many people who have died wanted to see you again? Maybe that's the issue. Mm-hmm. Last night I just dreamed that I was eating uh, flour and sugar, two things I am not currently allowed to do. <laughs> <laughs> by, by my wife. So I had a very elaborate dream about sneaking snacks. <laughs> There's a bag of flour in your cupboard that's like, Ken. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, futurelings, please contact us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm sure you can figure it out without us telling you. But uh, Ken and I both have full names. You can find our stuff via At Tintin and Googling at us. Archibald Haddock. <laughs> Blistering blue particles. Bashy bazooks, iconoclasts. Um, you can uh, go to my Instagram account and see all of my hilarious pictures of my dad with former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel. I enjoy that picture very much. Also, uh, I've been saying it wrong. It's Gravel. Gravel. This is very helpful. Do you me. say Mike Gravel? I have never had to say it. <laughs> I just assumed it was Mike Gravel because what could be more Alaskan than that name? <laughs> Mike, Mike Gravel. Gravel. I thought it was like the Flintstones. Like everybody in Alaska is named for a rock. <laughs> A rock quarry product. <laughs> uh, no, Mike Ravel, and he he was a he was a fixture in my childhood, and now is running for president uh, again. I'm sure he's president in the future. We're speaking to future leagues who uh, remember him fondly. They go to the Gravel Memorial uh, on the Washington Mall They're, every summer when the cherry blossoms bloom. Every single Alaska politician is the craziest politician you ever heard of. <laughs> Uh, you can email us at uh, omnibusproject at gmail.com. You the can, Omnibus Project. I'm sorry. You can email. You can try and email us at Omnibus Project. If it but, gets through that spooky action <laughs> at a distance. Email us at the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, go to our Futurelings Facebook page, a vibrant and exciting community that is currently taking issue with something. You can never be 100% sure what it's going to be, but always in good spirit. And you can E, uh, you can actually mail us, not E, mail us, but mail us. What, what letter of mail is that? Uh, spooky mail at a distance. T-mail, terrestrial mail. Terrestrial mail. T-mail. P-mail? Oh. oh, no. T-mail is a different thing. I don't know what that is. I, have that, I have that website bookmarked <laughs> in my browser. Um, <clears throat> go to uh, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, connected only by the the quantum threads of this recording, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. 
we have managed to poison the reindeer herders with radioactivity and climate change. It's not going well. Mm. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this very recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. And we're going to do another show right now, which means that the world ended shortly before John's show. Mm. You can pin it down to a specific 15 minutes, <laughs> which he spent taking notes. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.